Well, good morning, everyone. Everyone with me this morning? Good, good morning to our online viewers. We're glad you're with us as well. Uh, brothers and sisters, I'm just going to kind of blurt this out. Um, it's, it is time, high time to say that the, the time for playing games with God is over. It's, it's long over. The time for playing church is done. I, I believe this with all my heart. The stakes have become too high. There, there's too much risk. There's too much going on in our nation. We're starting to see lots of biblical prophecies fulfilled. And when we see those things fulfilled, we know that time can run short. The time for playing games with God is over. If you ever really liked it in the first place, it's even more so now. God can no longer put up with, listen to me, fake Christians, fake pastors, and fake church ministries. He can no longer put up with that. Now, I don't think God liked to tolerate it in the first place, all these pseudo-ministries and pseudo-Christians, but whatever he couldn't tolerate then, it's even more so now because the time is short. You know, one thing that bothers me, and this is on a very personal level, this bothers me so bad, is what... America, this nation has done to the gospel. What, what this nation has done to this, what we have done to the name of Christ, bothers me from what I have seen in my lifetime. Now, if you'll allow me, I'd like to offer you just a little perspective on what, this just what I've seen in my lifetime, okay? You could kind of only testify to the things that you have seen, to the things that you have heard, but I want to offer you a perspective on what I have seen America in the recent past, in my history, what we've done to the name of the Lord, okay, and what the Bible says about it. Now, I'm 44 years old. I was born in 1976. Um, my mom and dad got saved, was born again right around the time of my birth or shortly before, shortly after, somewhere right around there. So I grew up in church. Many of you have heard the phrase, uh, he cut his teeth on the back of a church pew. That is me, okay? For as far back as I can remember, my family has been involved in church. Far back as it goes, my whole life we've been involved in church. Cut his teeth on the back of a church pew. That's me. So in the 70s, like I said, I was born in 76. You're a little young to remember anything from back then, but I grew up more so in the 80s and the 90s. I graduated high school in 1994, you know, a young, immature kid, wet behind the ears, but I still noticed things in the 80s and the 90s. I noticed things. Even as a kid, you notice things. You know, in the, in the 80s, I can remember, especially for me in the late 80s, I can remember two huge ministries in America, two huge ones. Now, I'm not going to mention any names. I, I don't want to personally attack anyone from the pulpit. That's not the point of the pulpit. But I know my mom and dad, you know, my family loved one of these ministries and, you know, they, they followed this ministry. And I know many, many of you did too, this huge ministry that we had in America. And, and those ministries, they were everything a pastor could ever dream of. Do you understand that? They had study books. They would produce material. They would produce cassette tapes, cassette series you could order and do Bible studies and VHS teachings and you could do... Bible studies through VHS, they, they would produce even Bibles, uh, programs, television programming, uh, excellent preaching, huge staff to do all kinds of things. I would even say world-class musical ability that you could only dream of. These big giant ministries, they were huge and, and they had 
the attention of America. These big giant ministries. They had the attention of all of America. Now, now maybe not everyone. Obviously, there's people that just do not care about God and, and they're never going to. But they were the representation of God to a majority of this nation. These big giant ministries. You know, that's, that's what a Christian is, right? A, a Christian is a representative of Christ to their surroundings. That, that's what a Christian is. A, a church, a ministry, a saved person is a representative of God to their community or to their area or circle of influence. That's what this church is. That's what New Hope is here in our community. We represent godliness to our community. New Hope stands as an ambassador of, of God of, to our community. Now, why do you think, you've heard Pastor Joe say this many, many, many times if you've been coming here any amount of time. You've heard Pastor Joe say, if you're going to blow it, you better not have a New Hope t-shirt on. We've heard him say that many, many times. Why is that? Because you represent New Hope Church. And even on a greater level than just representing New Hope, you represent godliness. That's why he has said many times over the years, if you're going to blow it, don't have a New Hope shirt on. Now, maybe you might think, well, I didn't sign up for all that. doesn't matter if you think you signed up for it or not. It's assigned to you when you bear the name of Christ. It comes with the territory. When you say, I'm saved, this is what I believe in. I believe in the Bible. I go to New Hope Church. God is God. He is real. I believe in Him. Then it comes with the territory that you now represent Him to those you live with, you live around, your family, your co-workers. You are the representative. I am the representative of God to the unchurched, to the doubters, to the unbelievers. We're the representatives. In a dark world, you know, in the, in the late 80s, both of those big giant ministries fell. And they fell bad. And I remember this as a kid. I remember seeing these things all over the media, all over TV. You know, I'm 12 years, 13, 14, 15 years old. I remember these things. Again, I'm not attacking anyone. I'm not. But there was fraud, women, money, all, all these Things came out about these ministries and it all came crashing down. My brothers and sisters, there's forgiveness to sin. You know, there is. The Bible tells us that. But there are also consequences to our actions. There are consequences to our mistakes. Sometimes there's big consequences to our mistakes. And when those ministries fell, it, it had a huge, huge impact on this nation. Again, this, this is what I have seen in my lifetime. Being raised in an evangelical home, this is what I have seen. I've seen this time and time and time again. When, when, when you are a representative of Christ, when you represent godliness, and you misrepresent God, it does tremendous damage to the kingdom of God. Tremendous damage. It mows down all kinds of people all around you. The people that know you, the people that work around you. If New Hope misrepresents God, then we're going to misrepresent Him to all the online viewers, to our community. 
It does tremendous, tremendous damage to those around you directly and even indirectly. It damages stuff. It damages people. When stuff like this happens, it acts as an inoculation against the gospel. It tells the world it's all fake. When we see these preachers and pastors come along and they're nothing more than charlatans or snake oil salesmen, what it does is it tells the whole world this doesn't work. It's fake. It's not real. That's what it does. It is like a vaccine that makes folks immune to the real truth. It is like a vaccine that repels. Once it's inoculated, once people are subjected to this false gospel, to subjected to people that misrepresent Christ, once they're subjected to that, then it causes people to repel the authentic, what I call the authentic biblical Christianity. It repels them from that. They are repulsed by that once they're subjected to all the false garbage that's out there. So much so that when the real gospel comes to them, they already have their pre-programmed response. I've seen it all before. Get that out of my face. I don't want nothing to do with it. I've seen it all before. You know, this, this bothers me. It, it bothers me on a personal level because I want to impact the community. I want to impact the world, if at all possible, for the sake of the real gospel, for what this really says. But now we have years, just in my short lifetime of 44 years, we have what I have seen is decades Decades of this nation misrepresenting Christ. Now we have a generation of people that has seen it all before. I've seen it all before. Jesus? Yeah, right. How much money do you want? Oh, you want me to be born again? You want me to go to heaven? Yeah, right. How many girlfriends do you have? Since then, brothers and sisters... Do you know, do you, you ever really sat down and thought about this? How many snake oil salesmen we've seen come through in the last however many decades? Do you know how many charlatans we've seen? Do you know how many phony healing ministries we've seen? They make me sick to my stomach. They make me sick to see this garbage. When, when this, which is pure and real, when it's misrepresented, it makes me sick. It makes me sick. Do you know how many imposters we, this nation has seen? Billions of dollars. People have been built out of billions of dollars by these phony pastors, by these phony preachers. So many people have been misled by purveyors of a perverse gospel. Millions of people have been misled. Millions. It's no wonder why why real Christians, why real pastors have such a hard time convincing people of the truth of God's word. It's because this nation has spent decades misrepresenting Christianity. Does anyone realize how, how successful in man's eyes now, how successful the prosperity gospel is in this nation? Do you realize how successful it is? Billions upon billions and billions of dollars I, I tell you right now, I know, I know that I know that I know that if, if New Hope changes to prosperity gospel, we'll be knocking down the walls 
within a few years building a bigger church. It's successful in man's eyes, but it's garbage in God's eyes. You know, sometimes, make of this what you will, but sometimes I have a hard time embracing my job title because what mankind has done to the pastorate. I have a hard time embracing it. it I take this with a grain of salt, but every now and again, it's almost like it's embarrassing a little bit because of the stigmatism that can be attached to, I'm a pastor. Uh, what do you want? What, I know, what, what do you want? You want to see your name on a billboard somewhere? You want to be powerful? You want to influence all these people? Have them eating out of your hand? What do you want? Because of how many charlatans have come through this nation and tried to say, this is God. This is what God is. It's embarrassing what man has done to the pastorate. Christ's name has been drugged through the mud more times than you can shake a stick at. And all this, it bothers me really bad. But that's my cross to bear. I don't preach this because it bothers me. That's not what the pulpit's for. Find something that bothers you and go up there and talk about it. I don't preach this because it bothers me. I preach it because it bothers God infinitely more than it bothers me. It bothers Him. Well, how do you know that? Because He wrote a whole bunch of Bible scriptures about it. A whole bunch of them. There's all kinds of warning. All kinds of warning about our conduct. All kinds of warning about the way we should talk and interact with other people. When you represent God, there's all kinds of warnings. All kinds of them in the Bible. I don't preach this because it bothers me. I preach it because it bothers God way more than it bothers me. He warns us against misrepresenting Him. He warns us about our behavior. He warns us about our conduct if you bear the name of Christ. If you are a Christian. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says this. It says, And hereby... We do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He that says, I know Him, and doesn't keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Very plain, folks, isn't it? But whoso keeps His word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in Him. Listen, he that says he abides in Him, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. Do you see what this scripture passage is saying to us? More or less, the Bible is saying that if we bear the name of Christ, our conduct should be similar to Christ. If I say I am a Christian, this is what I represent, then my actions, my deeds should reflect the things that I am saying. In other words, our conduct should reflect our teachings, and our teachings should reflect our conduct. Lots of people, lots of people are good at being Christians in word, but not in deed. Lots of people are good at theology, but they can't walk like Christ walked. Lots of people are good at talking the Christian lingo. Amen. Hallelujah, brother. Praise the Lord. Preach it, brother. But are you living like Christ did? A life of self-denial. Is your life similar to Christ's? in that your conduct is representative of Him. 
remember years ago, someone asked me to go with them to kind of be just moral support. They were going to preach at another church. Sure, I'll go with you. And I went. And to be honest, you know, never really heard this individual preach before. And I sat in the pew, kind of sat in the back. And the whole time, you're a little bit on edge. I know Pastor Joe will know what I'm saying at least. But you're a little on edge because you're thinking, how's this going to go? Because he's representing New Hope. He's representing our church. He's a kind of ambassador from New Hope. But it wasn't 15 minutes later, I was saying to myself, he's from New Hope. He's one of ours. Do you see how important it is to represent? I'm not saying new hope. I'm saying godliness. God. Because if not, if your behavior is not representative of Christ, the the things he stood for, the things he taught, you're going to cause a lot of damage to a lot of people. You know, I, I lost one of my own personal heroes recently. You know, I read books. I listen to a lot of people. I've admitted to you before, I'm a bit of a a nerd. This is so nerdy, but I listen to lectures even by lecturers talking about theology and all kinds of stuff. I I I love to hear those things, love to listen to perspective. And, and, you know, I listen to people preach and teach. And over time, you get a few favorites. You, You develop a few favorites and you get a few what I call heroes of the faith, you know. And I had one. That, that I liked, that, that I could only dream of being like this person. Only dream of it. Unbelievably educated and well-spoken, extremely well-versed in, in theology and the Bible. I could only hope to aspire to be as learned as this individual. An individual so smart, I wouldn't be able to be that intelligent having lived ten lifetimes of cumulative knowledge I still wouldn't be as smart as as this person was a speaker so influential and he could have me on the edge of my seat the whole time that he was speaking He, he, he even had I would listen to this person many years I listened to this person he had answers to many of the questions I have we all have questions and we wonder and at times we doubt and this person I would listen to and became fond of over the years, they had some, some answers to the questions that I had. Questions that I've struggled with. They had the answers. I could only hope to be that smart someday. But come to find out, he couldn't even obey the very things that he taught. Couldn't even obey the very basics of Christianity. The basics. You know what the Bible says? The Bible has a lot to say about stuff like that. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible actually contains very dire warnings to when you misrepresent God and you misrepresent Christ. Romans chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whoever thou art that judges, for when you judge another, you condemn yourself. For thou that judges, do the same things. You know how many times this nation has seen pastors saying, don't do this, it's bad, don't do that, it's bad. It says right here in the Bible, you can't do that. And the Bible's saying, but you do the same things you say not to do. Skip down to verse 19. 
This is Paul's letter to the Romans and to the Jews. He's talking to the Jews here who boasted about knowing the law. These Jews, they knew the law. They knew the history. They knew the oracles of God. Verse 19 says, And art confident that thou thyself art a guide to the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore which teaches another, do you teach yourself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, do you steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, do you commit sacrilege? Thou that makes thy boast of the law, through breaking the law you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. Do, do you see here these warnings? Warnings. Are you out there telling people, don't commit adultery, don't steal, but you're committing adultery yourself, but you're stealing yourself? He's saying this is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. Brothers and sisters, when you don't align your conduct with your profession of faith, you cause people to, here's the problem now, you cause them to blaspheme the name of God. You cause them to blaspheme. That's why it bothers God. Because it causes people to blaspheme. I told you it's fake. I told you it's phony. I told you that old Bible wasn't real. It causes people to blaspheme when they see this garbage. Brothers and sisters, when the inside of you doesn't match the outside, it causes people to blaspheme. Your co-workers your extended family members, neighbors. It causes them to say, I knew it wasn't true. You cause people, when, when we misrepresent God, when we misrepresent Christ, we cause people to turn away from the gospel. We cause people to turn away from the truth. It causes the doubters it causes, causes the unbelievers to say, I told you so. I knew it. I knew it was fake. All they wanted was money. All that preacher wanted was power and influence. All he wanted to do was exalt himself. All he wanted was his name on a billboard. That's all he wanted, and I knew it. And then you get some sap like me come along wondering why we don't have more people getting saved. Wondering why... Man, why is it that we're not seeing dozens of people flocking to the gospel, getting saved every time there's a church function? Sitting there scratching my head, why? This is why, because they've seen it all before. And they said, no, thank you. They've heard it all before. Man, why don't we have people beating on the door of the church? Let me in, let me in, i got to have the truth. i got to hear the truth. It's because they've seen it all before. They've heard it all before. Yeah, yeah, Jesus died for my sins. How many side women do you have? Do any of you remember the story of King David? Arguably, the greatest king that the nation of Israel ever had. A man after God's own heart. A mighty, mighty man of war. Mighty man of God. Defeated Goliath, for crying out loud. That's how tough he was. 
We're talking about a great man here. We're talking about a natural leader. And we all know people that are natural leaders. There's just something about them. There's something that makes them, it's like these, they're worthy of following. They're just, they have what it takes to be a leader. That's what David was. He was a leader. One day, he looks out his rooftop. He's out on his balcony or whatever it is. And he sees this babe washing. You women, whether you know it or not, you're the man's kryptonite. And David messed around with that kryptonite. He saw this babe. It was another man's wife. A man named Uriah was his name. It was his wife. Well, David ends up getting this woman pregnant. So David has to concoct this deceitful, despicable plan to cover up his misdeeds. This deceitful, despicable plan results in the death of the woman's husband, Uriah. When they're in the heat of battle, David instructs Joab. He says, hey Joab, come here for a minute. When you're out in the battle, and the battle's really fierce, and there's lots of fighting going on, tell everyone to back off. Just don't tell Uriah. Well, Uriah ends up getting killed. They, they all back off. Uriah, he's still out there fighting for David, for the kingdom of Israel, for the Lord, because he's a man of honor. He's out there fighting. He doesn't get the, 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 the command to fall back, fall back. They don't tell him intentionally. And he ends up getting killed, surrounded by the enemy, and he gets killed. It's a great plan, David. It worked. You covered up your sins. Except God saw it. The only little, minor, little setback to David's genius plan to cover it all up, God seen it. God saw it. God don't like this. That's what I'm telling you this morning. God does not like when we cause the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. He doesn't like it. That's why I'm giving you these warnings. Romans chapter 2. Warnings about all this stuff. So God doesn't like this little plan that David did. This scheme that David did. And God sends word to the prophet of the time. There was a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan says, come here David, sit down. Listen up. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1, he begins to tell him a story. He says, And the Lord sent Nathan the prophet unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except for one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. Verse 4 says, And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he, spoke, he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that had come unto him. But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. 
Verse 5 says, And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said unto Nathan the prophet, As the Lord lives, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now, I find this funny here because what Nathan is doing or what God is doing through the prophet Nathan, he is paralleling the exact same thing that David just did as the man in this story, that the rich man did to the poor man. It's a direct parallel. And I see here David getting all mad. Now, this man needs to die. He's got to repay fourfold. Who is he? Tell me who he is. I'll go get him. I'll make him pay. I will make this thing right. But it's, it's him that Nathan is talking about. David acts all angry and wants this man to, to pay dearly fourfold. He should die. Hypocrite much, David? Verse 7 says, And Nathan the prophet said to David, You are that man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. I gave thee your master's house, your master's wives into your bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover given you these such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be your wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword, listen, shall never depart from your house because thou hast despised me and you've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before thine eyes and give them to your neighbors and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For thou did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before all the sun. Do you see how angry God gets? He said, you, David, you misrepresented me. Yeah. All these people saw you as a king. You were influential. The whole entire nation of Israel, my people, you were my representative. You were my ambassador. And look at this filthy, despicable plan that you did that ended up in bloodshed of, a, of an innocent man. So God says, okay, David, here's what I'm going to do now. And he... he, he unleashes all these things and David does repent now he repents from his sin but we cannot overlook the fact of how angry the Lord is over someone misrepresenting him he says violence David violence will never depart from your house evil will be raised up out of your own house other men will come and take your women God intentionally does it for all to see New Hope Church listen to me don't misrepresent the name of the Lord. Don't do it. Make the inside match the outside. Why? Here's why. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan the prophet says to David, The Lord also has put away your sin so that you will not die. Listen closely now, church. How be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. 
And Nathan departed unto his house. Listen, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. That's why it bothers God. Because it causes the doubters, the enemies, the unbelievers of God, it causes them to blaspheme. It causes them to say, I knew the God of Israel wasn't the one true God. Look at David. If that's what godliness is, I don't want nothing to do with it. That's the problem with it all. When we misrepresent God, it causes others to blaspheme. It causes other people to go, "Mm -hmm. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it all along. I knew he wasn't sincere. I knew he didn't just love everybody like he said he did. Because of David's sin, it vindicates the enemy of the Lord. It vindicates them, the things they're saying. See, I told you the God of Israel wasn't the one true God. When we misrepresent the Lord, we weaponize the enemies of the Lord. When we misrepresent the Lord, we give them the ammo to shoot at the kingdom of God. We walk up to them and we say, hey, here's some ammunition, now shoot it at the kingdom of God. That's what we're doing when we misrepresent God. Do you you know what happened to the child? Do you know what happened to David's household? Well, God had mercy. He relented. Everyone lived happily ever after. Nope. That ain't what happened. The child died. And David's household for the rest of his life was pretty much a dumpster fire. The Bible says that David fasted over that child. He wouldn't eat no food. Oh God, please. No, I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry, God. God struck that child anyway. Why? He doesn't like it when you misrepresent him. He doesn't like it. We don't have time to go through the rest of David's household and all the things that happened, but it was a dumpster fire. The rest of his life was a dumpster fire. Full of deceit and people, his own sons trying to usurp him. And God doesn't like hypocrisy, church. He don't like hypocrisy. He doesn't like his name being drugged through the mud. Brothers and sisters, you listen to me now. I suggest we conduct ourselves in a manner that aligns with the character of the Lord. Well, you know, maybe you say, well, you know, you're talking about Old Testament stories. The God of the Old Testament, he was sort of harsh. We see the same exact attitude in the New Testament. I would make the argument that the angriest, the maddest that Christ got was when he was dealing with hypocrisy. I would argue the angriest we saw Jesus get was at the, the hypocrites. I'm going to read a few passages out of Matthew chapter 23, but I encourage you sometime this week, read Matthew chapter 23, the whole thing. Matthew chapter 23 verse 2 says this. Now this is Jesus speaking, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you to observe, that observe and do. But do not after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. 
Hypocrisy, Jesus is saying. Skip down to verse 13. Verse 13 says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither do you let any of them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, ye hypocrites! Can you notice his anger here? He says, For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, to make one convert. And when he is made, ye make him twofold the child of hell than you yourselves. Are you beginning to notice Christ's attitude towards hypocrisy, towards misrepresentation of him, towards misrepresentation of godliness? He don't like it. If you, if you can't understand, he don't like it. Skip down to verse 23. Woe unto you, because he's still going, as a matter of fact. He ain't done yet. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier laws or matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not left the other undone. Listen to Jesus now. You blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, Jesus says. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you make clean the outside of the cup of the platter, but within you are full of extortion and excess. Jesus says you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. You know what that means? It means that these Pharisees, these hypocrites, they make big deals all over something really small, really tiny, but they will overlook big giant people breaking moral laws. Oh, that's okay. Well, pastor, you got a side girlfriend. Well, that's okay in my case, you know. I'm, I'm important. I need more than one woman. God understands. He's saying, you're, you're straining at a gnat. You, you'll pick out some tiny little thing in someone else and you'll say, you are a bad person. The Bible says you can't do these things, but you overlook the giant offenses and transgressions in yourself. Is anyone else noticing that Jesus ain't being altogether friendly here, is he? I, I hate it that, that when people try to say, oh, Jesus loved everybody. He was kind to everybody. He's sitting here saying, you guys are blind guides. You guys are hypocrites. Look at verse 28. It gets worse. Even so... Ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And then finally, skip down to verse 33. If I can have the band make their way back, please. This is Jesus now. Listen to what he says. Ye serpents, you generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? You, you see what Christ, you, you see his attitude towards the misrepresentation of Christ of godliness, of the church, of Christianity. Jesus is angry at this. He's not happy with this. At one point earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is actually kind of railing on these hypocrites, upon these religious leaders that are misrepresenting Him. And afterwards, the disciples come running up, the Bible says. They run up to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, don't you know that the Pharisees were offended? By what you said? You know what Jesus' response was? When these disciples said, Jesus, you just made them guys mad. You just made them angry. You just called them out in front of everybody. They're offended at you. Jesus' 
so angry over this type of behavior that he says, they're blind guides of the blind and they'll both fall into the ditch. That's what he said. That's the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus. They're blind leaders of the blind, blind and they'll both fall into the ditch. That's how angry, that's how angry God gets when we misrepresent him. When we blow it for all the world to see. When we call ourselves Christians, I'm saved. Everyone look at me, look at my conduct, look at my behavior. I'm good, I don't do anything wrong. And then we blow it and we misrepresent him. I hope you notice Christ's attitude here. It's the same attitude we see in the Old Testament as the New Testament. If we could stand. Church, you know that the, we always open these altars at the end of the service. And, and I encourage you, if you come and pray, seek the Lord. If you are into any secret thing, anything that if the top gets peeled off, if the curtains get pulled back, and the whole world sees it, it's going to misrepresent God. You better confront it. You better confront it before you and a holy God. Confront it before you and a holy God. Because we see here that the Bible tells us God does not like it when we misrepresent Him. We, New Hope, we represent godliness to our community to our neighbors the, the factories we work at the shops that we work at the schools that we work in people look at you they're looking at they're observing your behavior and he says she's a christian or he says he's a christian she says she's a christian hmm they're observing your conduct they're they're observing the things you say they're observing the way you interact they're observing the way you treat your spouse And we have to hold ourselves to a high standard, to a biblical standard. We have to represent godliness. These altars are open. Let's pray.